Hello, I'm Fanula Sweeney. You're very welcome to Atlantic Fellows Reflections, where each podcast will feature an Atlantic Fellow discussing their work, hopes and aspirations for the Atlantic mission to create fairer, healthier, more inclusive societies. This week, Anna Santos, Atlantic Fellow for Health Equity in Southeast Asia, reflects on her work as a journalist in her home country of the Philippines. I wasn't always a journalist. I started out my career as a banker. I spent many years in the corporate world, specifically in a financial services industry. I transitioned into journalism because I felt angry. I couldn't reconcile in my head that the Philippines has always consistently been one of the most gender equal countries in the world. It's always ranked as top 10. And that's largely due to the fact that we've had not just one, but two female heads of state. A lot of the countries haven't even managed to elect one. But despite that, we have no divorce. We're the only country apart from the Vatican that has no divorce. There's very limited access to birth control. And there's virtually no comprehensive sexuality education. The Filipina is empowered. She's free except when it comes to matters of her heart and her vagina. Those parts of her are regulated by the church and legislated by the state. I wanted to write about how restrictive policies like no divorce and no access to birth control impact your right to decide over your own body, your right to a chance at happiness again through amicable divorce, through education, and your right to work. When you look at it, the right to decide over your own body, your right to love, your right to happiness, these are the basic aspirations of life. And when you have agency over these things, it allows you the right to own your own future. I still remember those days fighting for reproductive health rights in the Philippines when the biggest enemy that we had to face was the church. Back then, the biggest danger was to be excommunicated. Now, under this current administration, a lot of things have changed so quickly. There's simply no room or no allowance for dissent, no allowance for any kind of criticism. Now, the danger for journalists is to be harassed online, trolled, or even killed. It's not an accident that the Philippines has ranked the deadliest country in the world for journalists. Most recently, Global Witness named it as the most dangerous country for environmental rights activists and advocates. A number of lawyers and vice mayors and mayors have been killed under this administration. This culture of violence and impunity, life is cheap in the Philippines. When you think of things in that context and you think of the crackdown on dissent and press freedom, you understand that now there's no room for dissent. Dissent is not seen as something that can actually open doors to dialogue and discourse. These are things that are synonymous to democracy. It's like democracy has become a bad word and human rights as well. But when you think about it, the tenets of democracy and human rights, those are the things that allow for inclusion. I think Maria Ressa, my boss at my home network, Rappler, best personifies the kind of media environment that now we have to operate in. She's become the face of media oppression. She's been arrested a number of times. She's had to pay millions of pesos in bail. This is really the state cracking down on freedom of the press. It's quite 
devious and the way that it's so innovative, you know, these acts of intimidation, they don't padlock the newsroom anymore. What they'll do is they will try to bleed you of your resources by slapping you with countless lawsuits. But what will we continue to do? Well, for me, at least, I will continue to write stories, as I've always done. I'm still angry. And as a journalist, I am grateful that I have a platform to express this dissatisfaction with policies that are sexist or archaic and disenfranchise the vulnerable women in Philippine society. I can write these stories and hope that somebody will read them and it'll actually start to change things and move the needle. But I wanted to do more than just tell stories, meaning I thought that it was time to come to another stage in my career where my skills as a storyteller and as a communicator could actually move policy. Like anything that you want to change, it's slow. But I thought that at this point in my career, there's an avenue for me to level up the storytelling so that it's more interfaced with policy, either through my work with policymakers or through fellows like Equity Initiative or the Atlantic Fellows. And in that way, the stories of people who are impacted by these restrictive and unequal policies are brought to the fore. And in that way, we can think of policies that are more inclusive and more in touch with the lived experiences of the people whose lives these policies are supposed to uplift. I've been in many fellowships like this, and... Sometimes I can't help but feel the divide between the academics and journalists, for example. In the Equity Initiative Fellowship, I'm the only journalist in a cohort of 23. Initially, and I've been very open to the cohort about this, I thought, oh, okay, I'm going to be in one of these fellowships again. I'm the only journalist. I'm going to be the outlier. I'm not going to fit in. In those scenarios, I would just be content to join, but mostly from the sidelines, not really actively participating. So I was very much surprised that I found a more collaborative rather than a competitive environment. Not to say that competition is bad, it's just that sometimes it isolates or sidelines others. In the Equity Initiative, I found a community of support all of us are trying to work for change. I think all of us who are in this line of work do not just consider this a job. We are in these jobs because at some point in our life, we or someone we love was affected by the issues that we want to change or by the inequalities that we see. So it's never just a job. It's deeply personal. The sense of community that I found was also very comforting because the kind of work that we do is sometimes very lonely. And I speak from the point of view of a writer. The work that a writer does is often very solitary. So it really helped that I found a community that understood me and welcomed me and was very collaborative. It was an environment that was very encouraging and also very empowering. My skills were brought to the table, and I felt more confident about also presenting what I could contribute to the whole issue of policy change and social justice. It's not just a matter of writing stories, it's writing stories and being able to collaborate with researchers and with policymakers, really bringing together every aspect of our experience so that you can have policies that are more inclusive. One thing that I learned from 
My fellowship with the Equity Initiative was about leadership. I am very uncomfortable with the concept of seeing myself as a leader. I see being a writer more of someone who documents things, bears witness and all of that. So I learned to open up my idea of what leadership actually is. The part about adaptive leadership was most relevant to me in terms of identifying that there are different types of leaders. You can still be a leader and not take a frontline role, but still have an equal and equitable contribution to the whole goal of the organization. It's something that I've learned to apply even to my home life. I valued very much how even during the leadership talks, our facilitators and the people at the Equity Initiative would say that these are skills that you can apply also to your daily life. Also, I found really good friends through the fellowship. My cohort of 23, I consider them all of my friends, but there's a tight group of three other women who I've made very good friends with. And in the year that we spent traveling on our fellowship, we've gone to each other's weddings. Well, only one of us got married. And we've gone to each other's birthdays. We planned to be there for each other's milestones in life. And I thought that was such a bonus to the fellowship to also find kinship and sisterhood. My first interface with the Atlantic Institute Fellows was Oxford last year at the convening. And I saw an even bigger community of change makers. What I liked was the diversity of people working for change across different avenues. There was research, but there was also art, music, dance, film, Again, I saw this kind of environment where everybody has a contribution to make and everyone has value in terms of their skills and everything can be brought together to work together for the change that we want to see. I shared this story, I think, with my cohort when we did the reflection after Oxford, and I love sharing this. The African fellows, the Decano fellows, they introduce themselves at the opening ceremony by singing or doing spoken word. Some of the songs I couldn't understand, but it made me want to dance and clap and sing. The first night, I think we had a playlist where there were songs from the different countries of the fellows. And at some point, I just got up and started dancing. And I tell you, from six p.m. I think right after we had dinner I was dancing and on my feet and afterwards a bunch of us also went to a pub in Oxford before going home and we were still dancing and this time it was hip-hop. I didn't sit down from 6 p.m. until 1 a.m. I think when we decided to go home. That was a very pivotal moment for me because I felt again alive. I felt joy Those were some of the things that were absent in the latter part of the work that I've been doing because the things that have been happening in my home country and the general thread of despair that's looming all around the world. So dancing and moving your body made me feel alive and joyful. Those were the things that I felt when I first started doing advocacy work. So it very much brought me back to the reason why I do what I do. There is so much to learn from the different Atlantic fellows. 
There's things at the core like feminist social justice and how to do that through film. We have one fellow who's doing that. She's setting up an academy of female filmmakers. And I think that in the coming years when disinformation becomes more and more of a problem and there's more crackdown on journalists and generally journalism is also suffering from a loss of public trust, it's going to be in the avenues of film dance and music, where we will find a unifying thread to bring people together, whether it's to communicate a message or to come together through protest. So I just want to be a sponge and think about what I can learn from the different fellows. In terms of things that I'm already pursuing, I've reached out, for example, to Richard Wallace. I know that he does a lot of community work in Chicago, where there's also lots of violence, very much like what's happening in the Philippines. So I've been reaching out to him to talk about how he sees the men in the community responding or dealing with or not dealing with trauma and grief. That's for a story that I'm writing about, the fathers who have lost their loved ones in the drug war. I saw that there was no avenue for these fathers to express themselves. So that's just one way that I'm collaborating with fellows and hoping to learn from their own experience. I specifically asked Richard, as a media person, asking these questions about your community and how they deal with violence, how can I be more sensitive in reporting on this? How can I be more responsive? Sometimes I feel as a writer, I have to keep on reminding myself that, yes, I want to help by writing about these things, but maybe my own biases, which I am not even conscious of, come to the fore and do more harm than good. So I also reach out to other fellows for their shared experience to help me better empathize and understand the communities that I write about. What can I contribute? At my core, I am a storyteller. I love telling stories of people. I think that there's just so much to learn from other people's lived experiences. So I've already started featuring some of the work that the fellows do. I've written about it for my home network in Rappler. I hope to do more of that because mostly I've been doing it for the Equity Initiative fellows. So as I get to know the Atlantic fellows more, I hope to do more of that. At the same time, I think there's an avenue for the storytelling of journalism and the innovation that you can apply to storytelling through the online medium. There's so much potential in that to bring stories and facts and research to a wider readership. It will create points of resonance that we need to understand and policymakers need to be more cognizant of so that they make the legislative process more enriched by these stories. And at the same time, I hope that it'll rekindle the sense of empathy that's kind of been lost around the world during these very divisive times. That was Anna Santos, Atlantic Fellow for Health Equity in Southeast Asia, reflecting on her work as a journalist in her home country of the Philippines. To find out more about Atlantic Fellows, please go to www.atlanticfellows.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney, and you've been listening to Atlantic Fellows Reflections.